Let's do that hockey. All right, welcome back to Dauber Prospects Radio. This is episode 88, and well, the shows are coming out fast and furious because I'm at home in isolation and I've got nothing else to do than talk about hockey, and fortunately I've been lucky enough to have a, a number of really cool guests come on and share a whole bunch of expertise, and today is no exception. So I've covered the WHL and the QHL in the uh, CHL so far, so wrapping up the CHL League prospect talk is OHL prospect expert Brock Otten who writes for the OHL Prospects blog that he's the proprietor of. He also contributes to McKean's Hockey. He's been on the podcast a couple of times before. We met and had a beer at the Top Prospect game in in the Hammer this season. That was super fun. You can follow Brock on Twitter at Brock Otten, O-T-T-E-N. Welcome back to the podcast, Brock. It's great to have you on again, man. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Yep, absolutely. Um... Can't think of a better guest to talk about OHL prospects than you, my friend. So uh, we're going we're going big for this episode. Uh, so previously on my junior league conversations, I've kind of talked about some players that have signed and, and been in the news lately. Um, I'd like to talk about some players who are graduating and, and turning pro and where we forecast they might play in the AHL or just go straight to the show and be fantasy relevant right away. What's their fantasy long-term upside? All that kind of good chatter. And then, of course, we'll talk about uh, the entry draft prospects because it's a pretty strong year for the OHL again this year. There's a number of players at the top of the draft that I kind of feel like we have to cover. And then there's a couple of guys who are going to come a little bit little bit later on that I'm really curious to, to get Brock's take on. And then depending on how much time we've gone, we might hit some uh, some players re-entering the draft and some, some free agents from the O as well. How's that all sound, Brock? Sound good? Sounds perfect. All right, Peter Patter, let's get at her. Let's start with some players who have uh, signed and been in the news kind of lately. Uh, so we'll start with Tyler Tucker, a uh, big defenseman coming out of Flint. He played for Barry and was traded as a rental near the end of the season. And, well, that just didn't work out. I feel bad for all the teams that gave up draft picks and, and prospects and assets to rent players who they'll have for the balance of the season in the playoffs and then the balance of the season, the playoffs were canceled. That was a, that's a raw deal, man. But uh, so Tyler Tucker, he's uh, graduating out of Flint. He's going to St. Louis Blues property. Uh, he's had a pretty strong career. Talk to me a little bit about Tyler Tucker. What do you like about his game? Well, he's kind of a throwback defender in the sense that he's a really physical player. Um, no, non- no nonsense type of defender. Um, really takes away space in the defensive end. Is, is aggressive in denying zone entry. Um, you know, wins battles in the corners, cleans up the front of the net, um, is one of the better defensive defensemen in the OHL. So first and foremost, that's that's where a lot of his value lies. And as an offensive player, his trajectory has kind of increased, has gone up as his skating has improved. I mean, that was sort of the big knock. That's why he felt as far as he did in his original draft year, because his skating just wasn't great. Uh, it was a little bit sluggish and, you know, there was – some difficulty projecting him as as more than say like a a depth defensive sort of PK anchor, but uh, I think he's gotten himself in a, in a lot better shape over the course of his OHL career, and uh, his his movement is a lot more fluid, and you know you're seeing him activate a lot more 
especially this year, uh, offensively. He's got a big shot. He's got pretty good offensive instincts. He holds the line well. He can quarterback the power play. Um, just a really solid all-around defender now. Um, and I think it, it, it was good to see St. Louis sign him. Uh, you know, I was pretty confident it was going to happen, but, you know, he's still not a, an elite skater. And, and I know that uh, sometimes that can be difficult to, to project players at the next level, especially defenders, if their feet are, are not at that higher level. So it's going to be something he's going to have to continue to work on. Not, not impossible. Might be a little bit of a longer term project, you know, a guy that's going to have to spend maybe two or three years in the AHL and then be ready to step into St. Louis's lineup. But, but I think he's, he's a good prospect and uh, I really enjoyed watching him uh, progress over the course of his OHL career. And I think it's, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see. I don't know if you knew that, but he's, he's got a twin brother that plays in the USHL um, for green Bay, uh, who had a pretty good year and is still draft eligible. So I've heard some talk from talking to some of the American guys at McKean's that, uh, that he is drumming up some draft interest. Maybe, you know, maybe St. Louis is one of those teams that jumps on him late, but, uh, it, nonetheless, it's, it's a cool story. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. He's, uh, so Tyler Tucker is a 2018 seventh round pick, so he doesn't have a lot of pedigree. He's not a blue chip prospect, but, I mean, he has seen his point production increase from season to season. He broke the 100 point or sorry, 100 penalty minute barrier uh, last year. Um, and he's a broke the point per game barrier this season, I believe. Um, yeah, 1.04 when he was with Barry and a point per game with Flint. So, you know, his offensive game has evolved a little bit. Your point, he's got a he's got a heavy shot. I don't see him being an offensive defenseman really at any capacity at the NHL level. Um, not uh, not a, a liability by any mean, but there's other players who will monopolize the offensive zone starts and uh, power play time for sure ahead of him, unless he does some serious progression in his game between now and the next four years. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that he's not an NHL potential defenseman. He's uh, He's been a, a, a developing prospect since his since he was drafted late by the Blues. So they could have got themselves some pretty good value in him. Uh, but yeah, he's looking at a couple years in the AHL. The next guy I want to talk about is even more interesting, Noel Hoffenmeyer. Uh, originally drafted by, I want to say, Arizona, and it was not signed. So I believe his rights are unowned, NHL-wise. Uh, he had a tryout with, I want to say, New Jersey and turned some heads or whatever it was uh, this summer. Uh, no, it was Carolina. Uh, didn't uh, didn't get a contract offer and went back to play another season with Ottawa in the OHL and had a monster season. I believe he led the league in defense scoring. And he has signed an AHL contract with Toronto. Uh, so what do you think is holding back the the NHL interest on Hoffenmeyer? I mean, he was originally drafted and, and now he can't get an NHL contract. What's your thoughts on on him? For Hoffenmeyer, it's the feet. I mean, it's similar to sort of what we just talked about with Tucker. Um, it's hard to project Hoffenmeyer as a high-end offensive defenseman at the NHL level just because he doesn't have that uh, elite first few strides. He's, he's not a high-end skater. I think he's improved his skating over the course of his OHL career. Um, you know, I think he's a really heads-up, smart defender with the puck on his stick. Um, he wouldn't have been able to to produce the way that he did the, the last few years if he wasn't. 
But, you know, if we're projecting a player uh, towards being an NHLer, uh, I think you're, you're taking a chance on Hoffmeyer in hopes that the offensive game is able to translate. He's not the type that's going to end up being a really good player in his own end, right? So it's hard because a guy like Tucker, right, if the offensive game and the feet don't improve, he could still be a good solid depth option because of the way that he defends. Whereas Hoffenmeyer, his defense is only average, meaning that it's going to have to be his ability to move the puck that gets him to that next level. Uh, you know, I, I, I was a little bit surprised that, that an NHL team didn't sign him to an ELC directly. I think he did enough this year to show that there has been some improvement in his feet and, and that his, his head and the way he thinks the game is at a high enough level. Um, you know, ultimately we're seeing teams be a little bit more stingy with those ELCs with the contract limits. So, you know, a team like Toronto is obviously extremely interested in him, but, you know, give him the chance to, to work his way up in the AHL next year. Uh, I would imagine that he probably has to see some time in the ECHL. Toronto usually stacks their, their Marley's roster with a lot of, uh, AHL veterans. So it's going to be tough sledding for him to crack that lineup. Uh, you know, even if he plays half the year in the A and half the year in the ECHL, kind of like Mac uh, Hollowell did, although he had a contract with the Leafs, um, you know, but in that same sort of vein, uh, you know, moving forward, he, he could definitely turn himself into, into an NHL defender. Like I said, he, you know, the hockey sense is one thing that just can't be taught. And, and Hoffmeyer has that as an offensive player. He's incredibly smart with the puck on his stuck, uh, stick. And that's, that's what makes him such a, an elite power play quarterback. But uh, five on five, is he going to be as productive? Uh, I think it's a bit of a mystery. And I think that, you know, his lack of elite mobility is sort of what makes uh, NHL teams hesitate when it comes to giving him an ELC. Right. He is 21 years old and this was his overage season and he scored 26 goals and 82 points. He's kind of reminding me a little bit of Darren Radish from a few years ago, who just dominated the league in his overage season. playing on a powerhouse Erie Otters team and Hoffenmeyer's playing on a powerhouse Ottawa 67s team this past season. Uh, do you see some similarities and comparisons there where Radish got uh, an AHL contract and he's been able to turn that into an NHL contract? Still hasn't made the NHL, but hey man, he signed an NHL contract. I think it's a great comparison in terms of their offensive abilities. I think Darren was a bit of a better and more... Um, safe defensive player than Hoffenmeyer is, uh, at least projecting towards the NHL level. Um, but I, I think in terms of their their feet, their mobility, that was something that held Darren back as well. Uh, and I think their skating style is, is very similar. I think it's, you know, uh, there's not a lot of power in, in their strides. And I think that offensively, he's going to have to make sort of the same adjustments that Darren did at the AHL level. So, uh, yeah, I think, it's, uh, I think it's a great comparison. And like you said, it shows that, just because you have to start off with an AHL deal doesn't mean that it can't turn into an NHL deal a year or two years down the road, right? There's teams that are always looking for depth. And if you're able to perform at a level, they're going to give you a chance of the one higher. So, um, you know, hopefully he goes in with the right frame of mind with a chip on his shoulder and is looking to, to prove to teams that uh, they made a mistake and not signing him out uh, right off the bat. Well, as a defenseman that doesn't play defense very well, he should fit in really well in the Toronto system. Let's move on. Uh, The next guy I want to talk about is goaltender Jacob Ingham. 
He's a Los Angeles Kings 2018 sixth round pick. So another late round pick. And he's just recently signed with the Kings. Uh, I've kind of really liked what he's done in his career. I've, I've been a bit of a fan of his. He's got the size um, playing for Mississauga and Kitchener. I'd say he's probably one of Los Angeles' better um, goaltending prospects. Um, so he's 19 years old. I believe he's still eligible for one more year in the O. Um, what do uh, what do you think of his long-term upside? I really struggle with, with scouting goalies. Well, I think everybody does, to be honest. Um, it's one of the hardest things to sort of nail down, right? It, but, uh, you know, I, I would agree with you. I think uh, Ingham is a, is a quality goaltending prospect. He, he's he got that combination of, of size and athleticism that, that you like to see in the position nowadays. I think the one thing that was holding him back previously uh, when he was playing with Mississauga and not Kitchener was just consistency. Um, you know, night in, night out, being, you know, a, a really highly focused uh Positionally sound netminder, I think with Mississauga, we were seeing him give up some bad goals and it was causing sort of a, a dip in his play on certain nights, um, you know, but moving to Kitchener on a bit of a stronger team, at least defensively, you know, I think it took a little bit of a pressure uh, off of him. And I think he had a fantastic year, you know, when he came back, he had that back injury at the beginning of the year. And when he came back, uh, you know, that was sort of when Kitchener started surging and, and became one of the better teams in the OHL. And you know, I think that was on sort of Ingham's back. And I think he's going to be right in the conversation with with Nico Dawes and, um, you know, maybe Brett Brochu, the rookie in London for OHL goaltender of the year when when some awards start to be announced. So do you think he's uh, looking at a potential overage season in the OHL or do you think he's maybe going to move on to pro and, and spend a season in the ECHL? I would say that he moves on. Um, it's very rare to see a player come back after signing their ELC as as a 19 year old player. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's it doesn't. It's not like it's saying it's impossible, but it, it is very rare, especially with goaltenders because teams don't. There isn't as much of a stigma attached uh, for goaltenders when it comes to playing in the ECHL. Like some of the better goaltenders uh, to come in the last 10 years, I've had to spend some time in the ECHL. Just one of those things, right? Um, so I, it's not a kiss of death for a prospect in terms of historical significance as, say, you know, a forward or, or a defender. It's a lot harder for them to work their way up. But for goalies, you only have so many roster spots, right? And when it comes to playing maybe 15 games as an AHL backup or playing 40 games as a platoon in the ECHL, I think a lot of teams would prefer that their goaltending prospects get their feet wet in the ECHL now. Um, so, you know, I, I think that even with LA system being, being pretty crowded and very strong, I, I don't see him coming back to Kitchener. I, I think he'll, he'll be uh, moving on to the call ranks next year. Yeah. I think the ECHL thing with goalies is just a numbers thing. You can only play one goalie a night and you're rostered two. Um, and at that age, goalies really, need to play in order to develop right so if you graduate from junior and go pro you want to play in the league where you can play more than 20 games a season and that probably is not the ahl in most cases just because teams have four or five goalie prospects in their system and few of them are a few years ahead of you uh and the ahl there's it's a developmental league but there's there's still a pressure to win those games and put on a good show for the the ticket paying fans and the coach wants to have a successful season so that he can save his job. So they'll play the the goalie that gives him the better chance to win. So yeah, I think, 
going to the ECHL him for him is uh is probably in the cards and not a bad thing. Goalies take a few years to develop anyways, and like I said, he's only 19 right now. He'll be turning 20 soon. Uh, so he's three or four years away, but do you think he's got NHL starting upside at one point in his career? It's so hard to to project, right? Like NHL goaltenders, I mean, if you look at where they were selected and, and the types of uh, hype that, that was sort of associated with them moving up the system, I mean, some of them didn't have that hype, right? It, it's it's so hard. Like, you know, uh, certain guys go go to the HL or go to the pro ranks w- with a high level of hype. I, I think of a guy coming out of the OHL recently, like Tyler Parsons, um, yeah. who who looked unbelievable as an OHL goaltender, looked great at the World Juniors. And as a pro, he's really struggled. Now, I, I know that there was a lot that came out about, you know, his mental health and really struggling in that area. So obviously that's played a role in it. But, you know, I look conversely at a guy like Ivan Prosvitov, who, you know, I would have classified as an average old, uh, goaltending prospect, um, you know, not high end, not low end, somewhere in the middle, probably fairly equivalent to Jacob Bingham. And he had an unbelievable AHL season. And now you're starting to see him on some of the top goaltending prospects in the world list, right? It only takes a couple good years at that pro level to really convince people that that you have the capability to be an NHL starter. So, you know, I, I think the easier question would be to to ask, does he have the potential to be an NHL goaltender? And I would say, yes, I think he does. I think he's shown enough progression in his consistency and mental makeup. I think he's improved his rebound control, especially in his ability as, as a larger goaltender to be more than just a, a stopper and an actual goaltender who's, who's able to direct the play and, and be a leader on the ice. And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that transfers to the AHL next year. And, you know, even after one year, I don't think we can really definitively say if he's going to be, you know, an AHL goaltender. I think we've seen enough players struggle in, in their first year um, and then rebound and end up being uh, a quality, quality goaltender. So it, it's like you kind of started off the, the segment with is, it's so difficult to to assess goaltenders for that reason because so much of it is systems based and it's so much of it is confidence based and um, it's it's very hard to assess. That's a great name though, Ivan Prozatov. Um, he's only six percent Fantrax owned and uh, he's got uh, he's got a nice. Uh, path to the NHL in the Arizona organization. So that's a good sleeper prospect goalie player to uh, to put on your watch list or your radar and see if you can sign him as a free agent in your league. Um, all right, so that's pretty good stuff. Let's talk about some more household names and some high-profile players that have been drafted and have been developing nicely in the OHL, putting up gaudy points, playing for Team Canada, and let's start with Akil Thomas. Really like this kid. He's got a cool line of fashion, which is kind of neat, too. Um, he was uh, started the season as captain of Niagara Ice Dogs. Uh, the Peets picked him up. Um, he scored 40 points for both teams, at least, and he made the Team Canada World Junior roster and picked himself up a gold medal there, and he scored the gold medal goal, didn't he? Or, yep. like, the clinching goal or whatever it was. Yeah, 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 incredible effort. Big, big, big goal there. Uh, he only had two points, but man, they were monster points. Um, another one of the Los Angeles Kings prospects. Man, they are 
deep with prospects. Um, so I see him playing this season in Ontario in the AHL, that is, going from the Ontario Hockey League to the Ontario Reign in the AHL, and having at least a full season of development there as a as a 20-year-old. Is that where you see the Scarborough-Ontario native going to? 100%. He won't be back in, in the OHL, I don't think. Right, and not uh, and not ready for the NHL yet either? No, no. I think uh, he's going to have an adjustment period at, at the pro level, um, 100%. Uh, that's not to take anything away from him as a prospect. I, I think he's a great player, and he's a really great kid, too. Uh, really good head on his shoulders. Um, but I think uh, he's going to have to figure out I think he's going to have to change his game uh, a little bit for, for the pro level. Uh, I think in that regard, it's a little bit difficult to project him as uh, a high-end scoring option uh, at the NHL level. I think that he's going to have to really round out his game uh, you know, away from the puck and settle in a, as a strong uh, two-way player um, to go with some of the things that he can do with the puck. Um, He's one of those guys that I think is is really good at at most things, but I wouldn't classify any of his qualities as being elite. So sometimes those guys do have a difficult time transitioning. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Like, okay, so what 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 parts of his game is he good at? And you know, if you think of a, a one out of ten, with a ten being elite and a five being average, I'd say he's a, he's got a lot of sevens. You know, he's a good skater. He's got a good shot. He's got great puck skills. He sees the game really well. He's got good compete. But, I mean, he's a lot of sevens across the board there. I don't think he really excels at anything. Is there something about his game I'm missing? Is there, would you say is his best dominant attribute? I think that's a really good assessment. And he's sort of that jack-of-all-trades player. And, I mean, those are the ones who sometimes do get lost in the shuffle a little bit. And, as such, they have to really find another way to, to make an impact. Um, and I think that's where, you know, I think he's a good enough kid. I think he's got a good enough head on his shoulders that he's going to work extremely hard and, and eventually maybe carve out a, a middle sort of six career in the NHL, you know, a guy that can, can play, you know, your secondary power play unit or, you know, your secondary penalty kill, um, kind of slide up and down the lineup as you need him, but probably doesn't, you know, max out at more than, you know, being a, a 35 to 45 point guy. Um is a really solid complimentary piece. Cause I think, you know, to sort of answer your question, I think his hockey sense is probably his best attribute. Um, you know, as a, as a draft eligible player, the one big knock on Thomas was his ability to fight through traffic to make a play, um, you know, being able to play through the middle of the ice. Uh, and I think that's something that he's worked really hard to, to improve. Uh, I think he's done a good job to, to be a better all around player and to be a more complete player. But, uh, you know, at the same time, is he an innately skilled enough to be, you know, a first-line player? And again, like, he's somebody who's also bounced around from center and the wing over the course of his OHL career. So it's going to be settling into a position, going to be settling into a role with how deep LA's system is. Is that role going to be on a scoring line even at the AHL level? Or is he going to have to sort of, you know, grind it out uh, on a third or fourth line role to start. I mean, it's going to be interesting to, to track his his development moving forward in a deep system. Uh, sometimes I worry about guys like Thomas, you know, when they're in sort of those deep systems. If he was in somewhere, say, like, um, you know, like in Toronto, for example, where, you know, there aren't as many 
skilled forwards in a system outside of maybe Nick Robertson um, and, and uh, maybe uh, Abruzzese at Harvard, uh, but who's still a few years off. You know, sometimes sometimes these are the type of guys that can get lost in the shuffle that they become that sort of tweener. So um, I would say that his head and his hockey sense are, are his best attributes for sure. Yeah, you make a good point there about the depth on Los Angeles. So he's a 2018 second round pick. So he's got a decent pedigree. He's got a hundred point season last year and he's almost at two point a game point production this year he made the canadian world junior roster he scored that glorious goal so you know fantasy hockey fans who pay attention to prospects they're going to know who this kid is and they might be pretty high on him however i think you should really temper your expectations for what his fantasy value at the nhl level will be i mean he's i don't think he's going to be the prolific scorer you know 100 points two point per game pace isn't going to translate for him, I don't think, at the NHL level. And if you look at the Hockey News recent magazine, the uh, the Future Watch, he didn't even crack the Los Angeles Kings' top 10 prospects. So he's a few years away, and he doesn't even have top six upside in their organization, I don't think. A change of scenery couldn't hurt him necessarily. It would, it would certainly give him a few less roster blockers uh, and might expedite his... Um, his graduation to the NHL and knock it down from three years to to two. But um, I don't think that he's got much more than a middle six upside as well. Um, Okay, so one of the first things you said about Akil Thomas was he's got a good head on his shoulder. That made me think of the next player I wanted to talk to you about, which is Ryan Merkley, defenseman drafted by the San Jose Sharks. He bounced around a little bit. Guelph, Peterborough... Uh, Peterborough just didn't want him back this year and he did all the right things and said in the media, like, I don't know, I, I'm excited to go back to Peterborough. I really liked it there. They said they wanted me back, but I just want to play hockey and blah, blah, blah. He ended up going to London, the rich get richer for, I don't know, a bag of pucks, whatever it was. Um, and then he had a great season there offensively. Offense is not his problem. He carries the puck so beautifully. He skates with the puck and he makes great plays. The problem with Ryan Merkley, I found, is... When he doesn't have the puck, he doesn't often seem very interested. And sometimes he doesn't seem very interested in passing to his teammates either. Um, there's been a lot of red flags on his file. Uh, can you shed some light on what some of the concerns are? And do you feel that he's overcome those a little bit and could be the next Anthony D'Angelo? So last year, I was probably as hard as anybody uh, on Merkley in some of my write-ups when it came to analyzing the end of the season or, or summarizing the end of the season for, for certain prospects. Um, and I think most people sort of held that, that similar opinion that his decision-making still hadn't taken that step forward. As you alluded to, he was still demonstrating some rather toxic attitude, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, playing in his own zone and, and putting forth an effort as a defensive player um, and I think ultimately that's why Peterborough decided to, to move on from him. Now, I preface that by saying I think he had an absolutely phenomenal year. I think that as a player, he – I don't want to use the word a complete 180 because I think there, is, there are still some, some micro concerns that he hasn't changed completely. But I think playing under Dale Hunter has done remarkable things for him. 
I really do. I, I saw a completely different player. Um, you know, he still plays a bit of a higher risk style, but, you know, in previous years, we would have seen him turn the puck over and there was very little effort on, on the back check. Um, or there was yeah. a, a stick slam or there was, a, you know, uh, an argument with his coach on the bench and his play suffered because of it. This year, we did not see that. Dale Hunter had completely reined him in. Turnover, he's hustling back. Defensively, he was engaged. We were seeing him actually engage near the crease, engage along the wall to, to create separation and to, to actually play his own end. Um, you know, I don't think that ability has ever been the issue. I really do think that it's just been upstairs. And I think that Dale Hunter was the perfect coach for him and trying to get through to him and in terms of, you know, having what it takes to, to play at the NHL level. I think sometimes it, it takes, you know, a different set of eyes or a different, different level of patience for, for certain players. And I think he really got through to him. Um, and I, I think if you would ask me this question last year and I didn't see a lot of progression this year, I think I would have had serious doubts uh, for Merkley developing into an NHL player. Um, mm. I had that right from the get-go in his draft year. And I had that last year. This year, uh, I really have a lot more hope for him in terms of developing uh, into into a high end NHL defenseman, not just not just a, a bottom pairing guy who can play the power play, but an actual top four defender. I, I really do think that he's turned the corner, um, and I think he had a really fantastic year. And a lot of some of those bad habits were worked out of his game. Um, ultimately, I mean, I don't think you could have asked for much more from him this year. Well, that's pretty fascinating. Um, and you can see the similar progression to Anthony D'Angelo last year with the New York Rangers. Is that just too obvious and simple and lazy of a comparison? Or are there some, some pretty good parallels there, do you think? No, I think it's, I think it's a good comparison. I think they are somewhat uh, different in terms of the way that they create offense. Mm -hmm. I think back to D'Angelo in the OHL and, and obviously, um, you know, D'Angelo in the NHL, he was always such a big weapon because of his shot. Um, and his first step quickness, uh, was always elite. Um, whereas Merkley, I would say his first step quickness is good, but not elite, but it's his overall mobility, his edge work and his, his turn radius and his four-way mobility that is elite. Um, Merkley is much more of a facilitator playmaker. Um, you know, doesn't have sort of that big point shot. He can score and he does have the ability to step into one, but not at the same level as say D'Angelo. Um, so I see Merkley as being more of that uh, playmaking style offensive defenseman um, and, you know, uh, first power play anchor. Um, so I, I think at the end of the day, NHL upside is probably similar, even though they're, they're a little bit different in the way that they approach the game. But in terms of, you know, the difficulties they had in the OHL uh, with their, their effort and attitude and um, sort of those, uh, black marks on, on their portfolio. I think it's a good comparison. Yeah, right on. Well, hopefully he makes the jump to pro and and plays in uh, San Jose with the Barracuda and not the Sharks this year. I think a, a season of adjustment and getting used to the pro lifestyle and pro players would probably be good for him. Um, I mean, I don't know this kid at all, but I think if you threw him in the NHL and gave him millions of dollars, it might kind of undermine some of the work that Dale Hunter did and 
um, inflate his head a little bit again. Uh, so hopefully he, you know, takes a nice, there's no, no problem with taking the slow, steady, sure path to the NHL and, and playing a season um, in the AHL. So we'll see where he goes. I, I think it'll be the AHL. Would that be your money too? Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. Uh, I think that, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? So while he had a great year, I think you need to continue to to build on top of that and not just, you know, throw him to the Sharks, you know, for lack of a better pun. Um, <laughs> I, I think that him playing at least a year in the AHL would be incredibly intelligent. You know, let him um, gain confidence in his ability to move the puck. I don't know if he's lacking in confidence. I think that's... That's part of his game that is quite strong, but you know, the pro level is, is obviously different and, you know, playing with older players that are going to hold him accountable, um, I think might be a bit of a, a learning curve for him. And I, I don't think there's any reason to rush him. I mean, obviously if he comes into NHL camp and he blows the doors off and he's, he's playing extremely well, I mean, sure re- reward him. But I mean, I think it would be pretty surprising if that was the case. I think if, if he's somebody that you're seeing is going to play on your, on your third pairing and, you know, see some power play time, I think he's better off playing a year in the AHL um, where he can see top four time and, and you could even challenge him, him by playing him on the penalty kill a little bit and really working him in different situations and, and, you know, maybe allowing him to fail a little bit and seeing how he does with that as well. Um, I think it could be could continue to be good for his character. Right. He's not going to take power play time away from Eric Carlson or Brent Burns next season. So you might as well let him get those power play reps at the AHL. He's he's not lacking in confidence. I agree. It's humility that he may be needing to develop. Um, okay, so if you own Ryan Merkley in fantasy or if you've got someone in your league that uh, is willing to sell him at a discount, this might be a good time to pick him up because um, it sounds like Rock's convinced that he's good value for his fantasy upside. Let's talk about uh, another player now. Let's go on to uh, Liam Foodie, another London Knights player. He actually got some reps in the NHL this year when Columbus was riddled with injuries. He got uh, called up a couple times in an emergency call-up and and squeezed in two games, scored his first career NHL point. He played with Canada at the World Juniors as well, posting four points and three goals. He's a burner. Um, I kind of like Foodie. Uh, He's not too small, 6'1", 181, but man, the kid's got just fantastic wheels um do you see him being uh an offensive nhl top six threat no uh, i still don't um i think he's 100 going to be a long time nhl player I, I think he's going to be in the nhl next year um i don't think he's going to be in the a um uh, but I, I think there are some limitations to his game um you know he doesn't have an elite level shot uh, i don't think he has an elite level hands in terms of being a facilitator with the puck. Um, what he can be is a really solid complementary piece who can push the pace, um, you know, attack on the forecheck, do all the little dirty work on, on a line. And, you know, if that makes him a, a middle six kind of guy, you can maybe play a little bit up on the second line, play on the third line, you know, be a consistent sort of 15, 15, 30 point, 40 point guy in, in his career years. Yeah. Um, but I don't see him as a big time point producer. Um, and I, to be honest, I don't think Columbus does either. I think they knew that when, when they drafted him, I think the plan all along is for him to be sort of that Andrew Cogliano type who can anchor their penalty kill, who can, 
you know, slide up and down the lineup, play center, play wing, um, and just be extremely versatile. And if you can get somebody like that in the first round who you know is going to play in the league and have an impact, even if it's not always on the score sheet, I think you jump on it where they did. And I, I still think it was a good pick, even if I don't see you know, high-end point production upside. Um, he's a quality player, and I think he improved a lot over the course of his OHL career, um, you know, especially as a defensive player, which I think was extremely important for his development because I think that's where he's going to make his money as an NHL player is, is being that two-way threat. Um, mm-hmm. So that was sort of integral for, for his development. Um, but I don't know if I saw enough development from his offensive skill set to, to say that he's going to be a big-time point producer. I like the Andrew Cogliano comparison. I think that's I think that's pretty money. Um, so two takeaways from that comment that you just made there um, in terms of fantasy hockey evaluation. Um, a little bit, a uh, little bit disappointed that his offensive upside and fantasy relevancy in the NHL is not going to translate the way it did in in junior. Um, and even though he scored, you know, four points for Canada at the World Juniors and. Um, almost 70 points in a short season with London um, and had his NHL debut, uh, you know, cool your jets on thinking that he's going to come in and be a 60 point rookie in the NHL. However, uh, a positive side to it though, is the wait time on him should be pretty short to non-existent uh, that you mentioned that you think he's going to be in the NHL next year and, and play regularly with Columbus. So it's not like this is a player that you need to sit on your prospect bench and and sit on your hands on him and, and hope that in two years he starts producing for you. He'll he'll produce immediately. It just won't be as much as as perhaps you might have thought. Um, okay, so the next guy on the list is um, Sarah Noel, a player that uh, I kind of like. Um, coming out of the OHL, played for the Oshawa Generals. Uh, finished the season with the Kitchen Rangers, scoring about a point a game uh, with them there. Didn't make the Team Canada um, World Junior roster, so I'm sure he was disappointed by that. But he's got great size. He's six foot five, two sixteen, um, power forward, drafted by the Florida Panthers in the second round. Um, I don't feel like foot speed is necessarily a, a glaring liability in his game, but um, you probably watched him play a little bit more than me. What uh, what are the best things that he brings to the table and what are his liabilities? So the first thing that I'll probably mention is that out of any player from that draft class from the OHL, I think I'm probably most disappointed in, in the way that Noel developed. So yeah. I'll sort of start off by saying that. I think you highlighted some of his best characteristics. Um, he plays that power game. Um, when he's on, he can dominate playing through the middle. Um, and that's obviously where a lot of the action in the NHL happens, right? You, if you're a perimeter player in junior, the odds of you translating to the NHL level are, are very low. Um, so the fact that he does most of his damage in tight and playing through the middle, I think is, is very encouraging. Um, Foot speed and skating is not an issue. He's a quality mover, um, especially for a big guy. He covers a lot of ground with a really long reach. Um, he has a pretty heavy shot. My only concern is that the consistency issues that he had when he was a draft eligible player, you know, sort of continued over the course of his OHL career. And I don't think we really ever saw him progress. Uh, I think the player that he was drafted as is pretty similar to the player that we see now. 
And I think that's a little bit discouraging in terms of projecting him as, as a high end NHL player. Um, I think the big concern for me would be just how high his hockey sense is, you know, how well he thinks the game, because um, there are a lot of times where he just doesn't, I don't want to use the word, he looks disengaged, but there are times where it's almost like he's going through the motions when he should be a more consistent threat with his size and skill package, but he goes, you know, periods with being completely unnoticeable. Um, And I think, you know, the way that we saw him play at the previous summer's uh, World uh, Junior Summer Showcase was extremely encouraging. I thought he was one of the best players at that showcase. Um, I thought he was phenomenal. And then you fast forward to the season, he goes from being one of the best players in that tournament or that little, I don't know if you want to call it a tournament, that showcase, uh, to not even being invited to the Canadian evaluation camp. I think it shows you just, you know, how average his year really was. Um, and, uh, you know, you look at how he played with, with Kitchener. I, I really thought I was hoping that would sort of elevate his play as well. You know, a change of scenery, uh, you know, playing with a different set of players, you know, playing, uh, you know, a different sort of system, but it, you know, it was, he was sort of the same player with, with Kitchener. So, you know, I don't know if this is a guy that, that has the offensive IQ to, to be uh, a top six forward in the NHL and, you know, he's going to have to figure out a way to become a more complete player um, more consistently to, to be a, a bottom six guy. Uh, I don't know if his, his skill set necessarily profiles towards that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, obviously, he, I think he's definitely going to play at the pro level next year in the AHL. Um, you know, but if you're expecting him to go to the AHL and, and really dominate, I think you need to temper your expectations. I think he's definitely going to be more of, of a long-term project um, you know, somebody who might take a few years to, to really figure out, uh, you know, how his skill set best suits the, the pro game, because I don't know if he ever really figured it out at the OHL level. Yeah. It's difficult to move on from junior to pro and you haven't really dominated, but he is a signed prospect and he's got a pedigree in a 34th overall in 2018. So he's a high draft pick and he's assigned to a pro contract so i think you're right i think florida is gonna pull him out of the o and put him in to the ahl and let him sit there for probably two or three seasons might be how long it takes for him to really get a a sniff at the nhl um so a bit of a bit of a weight and and a, a limited upside on him eh yeah i mean obviously the light could go on it, it really could uh i think the upside is still high um, you know, it was still as high as it was when, when Florida drafted him. I just think that the likelihood of him hitting that upside is, is a lot lower than it was when, when Florida drafted him. I, I was as high on him as, as any when he was draft eligible, but I just don't know if I saw enough progression uh, as a player to, to really suggest that he's likely to hit on an upside now. I think it still exists, um, you know, and, and sometimes players do better at the pro level than they do in junior. It is rare, but it does happen. Um, and, uh, you know, ultimately we'll, we'll have to see how, how he adjusts and what adjustments he can make uh, as a, as a player. Um, yeah. I just don't necessarily feel he, he had the best year. I have some concerns as you get older and bigger and stronger and veteran in the OHL and you're playing against players who are a year or two younger than you, and you're not progressing or dominating 
why is that going to all of a sudden change when you turn pro and you're playing against guys who have been the best players on their team in any league that they played and are pro players and are bigger and stronger and faster than what you've been used to playing. Um, like you said, it's not impossible, but um, it looks improbable. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about another big player. Uh, another defenseman from Ottawa, 67's Kevin Ball. 6'7", 240 pounds. He's a bit of a monster. New Jersey picked him in the second round. Uh, he not a very offensive defenseman. In fact, his point totals are 31, 34, 18. So they're on the lower side. So when he projects to the NHL, it's going to be as a big physical defensive defenseman, which isn't something that really exists very much in the NHL anymore. Do you think he's got enough skating and offensive prowess to uh, overcome that sort of small skilled transition stigma that, that we see in the NHL now and, and still be a, a pro NHL defenseman? I think so, yeah. Uh, I think that there's always going to be a place for larger defenders as long as they can skate well enough and as long as they can make quick enough decisions with the puck. And I think that those two areas of Ball's game are both pretty solid. I think his skating was always pretty good. Uh, that was always sort of the allure is that this giant kid um, you know, who's pretty mobile. I think that it's improved uh, even more so, especially his four-way mobility. His, his lateral and, and backwards mobility has improved a ton. Um, and I think his play with the puck, his confidence, especially in terms of making the breakout pass and, and you know, handling the forecheck, I think that's also improved a ton over the course of his OHL career. Um, I actually think he's, he's got more offensive capabilities than, than he's shown us. That isn't to say that I'm expecting him to step into the NHL, you know, and be a a 50 point uh, defender and and somebody who's going to be an NHL All Star. No, I'm not a, I'm not suggesting that. I think that his role in in Ottawa was that of of being more uh, defensively oriented. I mean, Ottawa has some other guys who can move the puck, like Noel Hoffmeyer, for example. So you know, Ball is asked to play a little bit more conservative, and I think he's probably most comfortable with that. That said, I could see that part of his game growing a little bit. I think he is capable. I think he, his hands are pretty decent. He's got a pretty big point shot. Um, you know, I think he is, like I said, his ability to to make a breakout pass and, and to, to clear the, the zone has improved a ton. Um, and he's obviously a, just an absolutely physical specimen in, in the defensive end. Uh, so I, I think there is a there is a projection for him to be more than just a, you know, a number six who, who plays the PK and, you know, sort of is sheltered offensively and then mostly just sees defensive zone starts and is taken off the ice in, in more critical offensive situations. I think there's a chance that he could develop into, you know, a, a top four, number four guy who can be a partner to, you know, a more offensively oriented guy and hold his own. And I think that's why we saw Arizona, you know, um, make him – or sorry, uh, with uh, him being a big package of the Taylor Hall acquisition, right? I think that's why you saw that that happen. He's obviously a guy that's that's in demand, and um, I I think that that he's progressed extremely well, and I do think that he's going to be an NHL defender. And it's it's funny that that you mentioned Ball because I was just chatting on on uh, social media today about Logan Stanley, and you know it'd probably be an interesting comparison to make because they're both humongous defenders, right? 
Um, and Stanley obviously had that high end mobility. And that was one of the reasons why he was taken so high. Um, at the same token, I would say that Ball is a better defender. I would say he's a smarter defender in his own end than, than Stanley ever was as an OHL player. So I think that um, I think he's more likely to be an NHL player than, than Stanley is. It, you know, uh, not to derail the, the question of the conversation. I just think it's a sort of natural comparison, um, you know, that people might make. Right on. Um, yeah, he is a big, big man. And one of the my pet peeves is when you have players who are who are massive, who are really big and don't take advantage of their size, don't use that gift that they've been given to their advantage and and not just in puck retention and using their long reach. I mean about blowing guys up and hitting them super hard. And pretty much every time I saw Kevin Ball play live, at least once a game, he was driving someone through the boards. His hip check is devastating. I really like his um, his physical game. And he might not have a tremendous um offensive upside so for fantasy leagues you might be thinking well that's all fine and dandy but if he's not scoring he's no good to me in fantasy leagues but if you're in a bangers and mash keeping carlson kind of league uh he'll get you some uh some really good peripherals there as well i think he's going to be excuse me a hit machine at the nhl um okay so let's uh let's do one more player that's graduating and then shift gears and talk about some draft eligibles uh, Ty Delandria, uh, Dallas Stars fans can be pretty excited about this prospect. Him and Jason Robertson are, are two of their top prospects that they have in their system. Uh, Robertson went pro last year. Delandria is going to follow suit this year. He had a pretty strong season as captain for the second year in a row with Flint. Um, he finished the season last year in the AHL, had a handful of games, looked pretty good. Uh, back to junior this year, uh, another pretty dominant season. Uh, made Team Canada five points in seven games, played an important role on that team. Uh, he's got size. I think he's pretty mobile. He brings a, a nice versatility and all-around game. Um, tell me a little bit about what you think of Delandria. I would compare Delandria to a guy like Liam Foody. Uh, I think in terms of their NHL projection, they're pretty similar players. Um you know, when, when Delandria was drafted, I, I was extremely high on him, and I thought that people were underrating his offensive upside. Um, I thought that he had a lot more in him in terms of his creativity with the And I think that over the courses of, of his OHL career, while he did progress, I don't know if he ever progressed to the point where he met my expectations as, as an offensive player. And that's not to take anything away from him, because I think he's, he's a terrific prospect i think he's a terrific player and i'm still i'm still high on him um i just don't know if i see a guy that's going to be uh you know a first or or maybe even a second line center i think he probably axes out in that middle six range similar to foodie i think you're probably looking at a guy that's in that 40 to 45 point range every year is you know is he a number two or a number three center sort of that middle six um but a guy who can anchor your penalty kill a guy that you can have on the ice who, you know, is protecting leads in the final two minutes. Uh, you know, a guy that is going to be part of your leadership group. I think he's probably going to eventually be uh, wearing an A or a C down the line. Um, 
and that obviously has has a lot of value. And I think he's probably another guy that's going to move pretty quickly through the Dallas system. Um, you know, I think that with how complete his game is and with him being a pretty high-end skater, obviously not to the level of William Foodie, but, uh, you know, being a pretty high-end skater himself, I think he moves pretty quickly. And I think sometimes those types of guys also get pigeon-held a little bit, um, that their offensive potential is never really met as well because they get thrust into, you know, a bottom six role right off the bat in the NHL. And then it, they kind of get stuck there. Um, so long-term, uh, you know, I don't think he has, you know, uh, extremely relevant fantasy potential, but I do think he's going to be a quality long-time NHL player. So it really, it really depends on, on what you're, what you're valuing. Right on. All right. That's good to know. Um, so let's, uh, let's speed things along here and let's do a little bit of talk on the 2020 draft and coming out of the OHL, you got to start with Quinton Byfield. I did an entire episode on him, uh, talked about his game a little bit and had an interview with him. Um, he started the season in contention for first overall, and there seems to be a pretty unanimous separation now between Lafreniere and everyone else. And in fact, Byfield's even been um, passed at second on some people's list by Tim Stutzel. I really like Byfield. He's one of the younger players in the draft. He's one of the bigger players in the draft. For a player his size to skate the way he skates, and I've seen some some pretty impressive offensive flashes and, and creativity and playmaking vision. I really like him, and I think he is still a consideration for first overall. I would still take Lafreniere right now at number one in either a fantasy or an NHL draft because I think he's NHL ready. Uh, but Byfield plays center as well, so there's a little bit of a positional bias there. Um, I, would you consider taking Byfield first, or uh, where, where where is he at right now in in your view? I wouldn't consider taking him first. I, I think there's a very clear gap between Lafreniere and Byfield at this point. Um, you know, that's not to take anything away from Byfield. Um, I think he's a wonderful prospect, and he's somebody that I would definitely consider at number two. Um, that said, I think Lafreniere had such a, an unbelievable year in terms of uh, surpassing the expectations that people placed on him. Pretty much everything that people asked him to do, he did this year. Um, and I think that that has to go a long way as to, you know, uh, really making sure that there isn't any doubt anymore when it comes to him. Um, you know, I think another thing that's important to mention when it comes to Lafreniere is just you know, how many other ways he impacts the game. Um, he's an extremely physical player. And that was sort of the one thing that's caught me off guard the few times that I've had the opportunity to see Lafreniere play live. And that is that I didn't realize that he is actually an extremely physical player. And yeah, I would expect too. that to continue, uh, you know, at the NHL level. And it's only going to continue to drive him to be better as well because he's so obviously so skilled and, uh, and so intelligent. Um, whereas a guy like Quinton Byfield is still learning how to to be that kind of player right now. Um, he's more of a one-dimensional player in that regard. And I think that there, that isn't to say that that can't develop. Um, he's one of the younger players available, available this year, even though he's uh, a monster. <laughs> I think people forget that he still has some physical maturation and some mental maturation to go through. Um, but uh, I, I would still say that the gap is, has widened, and I, I think that I'd be shocked if, if anybody took 
somebody other than Lafreniere first. Were you satisfied with the development you saw from Quinton Byfield within this season, from the from the start of the season to when they called it a called it a day? Do you think he progressed enough without comparing him to anyone else, just within his own um, to himself? So, if I'm being completely honest, I would say no. I think that in terms of developing, I don't know if he was really all that much different from the way that he looked last year. Um, but it, I think it's also extremely important to remember that if you're drafting a guy like Byfield, you're drafting him for the type of player that he's going to be five years down the line or 10 years down the line and not what he is currently. Um, like you said, there is that high upside because of how rare his skill package and his size package is. Uh, you don't see players like Byfield who possess the power and abilities that, that he does. Um, and you just have to hope that he does continue to develop and that this year was a bit of an aberration. And I think a lot of it um, had to do with a, a poor second half. I think that the world juniors and having a decreased role there and just, you know, hearing some of the criticisms that people had about his game, getting closer to the second half and getting closer to the draft, I think it probably took a toll on him. Um, I think maybe even he might have been injured. I think the player that we saw post-World Juniors was a lot different than the player that we saw pre-World Juniors. Um, yeah. I, I think that that doesn't mean that he isn't going to progress. I just think that it maybe put a little bit of a seed of doubt in, in people's mind. Um, I'm not saying I necessarily agree with it. Uh, I would still obviously take Quinton Byfield, and I'm still obviously a, a major fan of, of what I think he's going to do in the future. Um, that said, I think maybe people have realized that he's not as polished as we would have liked. I think that there's still going to be a pretty steep development curve that, you know, I don't think he's going to be ready for the NHL next year. I think he's going to have to go back to the OHL and play another year. Whereas I think if you would have asked people that at the beginning of the year, they would have probably called you crazy for that assumption. Um, I think that would be the very best thing for him. Craig Button on this show last week said the same thing that he's not NHL ready. He hasn't dominated uh, at the CHL level in the O with Sudbury. He's maybe, you know, dominated with for Sudbury on that team, but not in the league. And I think you're right. I think after the World Juniors, we kind of saw him plateau a little bit, if not even maybe decline a little bit. Maybe it was an injury. Maybe it was uh, between the ears. But I would really like to see him get drafted wherever he's drafted and then come back to the OHL next season and and dominate, not have that draft pressure and comparison. He could just come into the league and own it and make Team Canada again and play the first line center role for Team Canada at the World Juniors and and own that too. Then I think if you can pull all that off, then I think you talk about, okay, let's let's take a look at you at the NHL. Um, yeah, and, and just, just to add, I mean, how quickly people forget that last year, Lafreniere was quick in Byfield, um, played a very small role at the World Juniors, did not look very good. Um, and that he is a late birthday. So the, the actual age difference between Lafreniere and Byfield um, is, is pretty wide. I mean, last year, you know, Lafreniere was, was Quinton Byfield, and people forget that. And all yeah. they remember is what is current, you know, that recency bias. And um, like you said, if he can come back to the OHL next year, absolutely dominate, you know, learn to, to use his physical ability a little more consistently, you know, learn to drive the play through the middle and use his size 
to just really put defenders on his back and make his teammates better and, and, you know, create more consistent scoring chances for himself. Um, and then go and dominate the world juniors. And I think that that would be so much better for his development than say going to the NHL um, and, and struggling. You know, I, I was on the, a podcast with, with Dominic Tiano yesterday. We were talking byfield and I made the comparison to Joe Thornton. Now I know that Joe and, and Quinton are different players. Uh, I think that's very obvious to anybody who's ever watched them. Um, at the same time, I would say that right now, Quinton's best asset is his ability to play down low and his ability to work the wall and extend plays. I think that is 100% Quinton's best attribute at this current moment. And when Joe Thornton was a junior age player and moving on to the NHL with extremely high expectations, that was his bread and butter, was, was playing down low and being able to facilitate from below the hash marks. And then when he got to the NHL level, he just wasn't able to do that consistently. He wasn't strong enough. He wasn't confident enough. And he had like a pretty poor year in that first uh, rookie season. And people were really down on him at the time. And then, you know, it, it took a few years for, for him to, to really figure it out. Um, and I feel like if Byfield were to play in the NHL next year, I, I kind of see sort of something similar happening. I think that I don't know if he's ready to, to be – you know, an elite player in transition at the NHL level yet. I don't know if, if the, the brain is caught up to, to the, to the speed yet, um, at least at the, uh, you know, in the way that it needs to for the NHL, which would mean that, you know, he's being, um, you know, he, he's going to have to play more down low and, and be a facilitator there. And I don't know if he's strong enough or confident enough to do that. So um, long story short, you know, uh, I really do think that going back to the OHL, is the only choice. I really just don't think it's a good idea for him to play in the NHL next year, especially with the uncertainty surrounding the NHL season, right? I mean, you know, is it going to be shortened? Is it going to start late? Um, you know, and it's not like we have a player who's completely dominated this level. So I think the safe thing to do, not just for Byfield, but for other players as well, um, is to send them back and, and just let things, you know, be figured out at, at that level before they move on. Um, yeah, totally agree. So a couple of Ottawa 67s are going to be first round picks, Marco Rossi and Jack Quinn. Um, so my elevator pitch on these guys is Marco Rossi led the CHL in scoring in his draft eligible year, which, which is quite an accomplishment. I think he's one of the more NHL ready players in the draft. And I think that he might find his way onto an NHL roster next season. Um, with the potential for about a 40-point season. I think Jack Quinn is one of the best goal scorers and snipers, and I think he was kind of insulated a little bit on a deep Ottawa team and uh, maybe a little a little bit underrated. Um, I do not think that he is, is NHL ready, and he should have another couple seasons in the O before he's ready to graduate, and then maybe even some development time in the AHL. So a bit of a long-term project in Jack Quinn, I would say. Um, but I think you can get some some pretty quick dividends if you pick Marco Rossi in your fantasy draft. Um, what do you think about that assessment? Uh, so I'll, I guess I'll take it one at a time. So with Rossi, you know, the, the big thing is not only was he one of the best offensive players in the CHL this year, but he's also, in my opinion, the best two-way forward in the OHL. Uh, I don't even think that's, that's in uh, up for debate. I really do think that he is such an intelligent player in all three zones and the type of guy who can drive play in all three zones. Um, 
you know, force turnovers, get play moving the other way. He's so hard on and off the puck. Um, you know, his effort level is, is pretty consistent. And I think this year we saw him really improve his skating and we saw him improve his strength on the puck. And that sort of enabled him to, to be a more dynamic player. I think probably even more dynamic than I thought he was capable of last year. Um, it kind of caught me by surprise, but it, I mean, it's a good thing. Um, he's, he's just a terrific all around player. And like you said, that, that makes him NHL ready because of how intelligent he is and how he does play both ends of the rink. Um, I mean, the one concern is his lack of size. I think that he plays the game hard and I think he plays with no fear, um, which is going to definitely help him at the NHL level. But at the end of the day, you're looking at an undersized center who plays the game hard. I mean, how is that going to hold up? at the NHL level and, you know, as a defensive player down the middle, is he going to be as effective with that lack of size? I mean, you look at some of the better defensive forwards in the NHL and they're bigger guys. I mean, outside of Patrice Bergeron, there's not many Patrice Bergerons outside of him. Most of them are a little bit bigger, um, especially when they're playing the center position. So you know, I think that is the one concern that some people have, and it's something that I've had mentioned to me before. It's just whether he's going to be able to, excuse me, hold up playing down the middle. Um, I think it's not enough of a concern to to not draft Rossi. I think he's going to go high because of all the things he does well um, and how ready he is. But I think, you know, the, that might be something that is in the back of, of some teams' minds. Um you know, he's, he's going to go home if he doesn't make the NHL next year. He's not going to play in the OHL. That's already been, been announced. So he's either going to play back home or try to make the, uh, the NHL. So it's, it's one of those two options. Um, he, he might even be able to be assigned to the AHL. There's that sort of rule when a player is loaned out. It's kind of like that gray area that, that we're starting to see now. Um, so I don't know the specifics on that. Um, obviously, after the draft, we'll probably have – more known about that but uh yeah i i i think the world of rossi and i think he's a terrific player you know to segue on to quinn um i honestly thought jack quinn was the better ottawa 67 in the second half of the season um and that's not to take away from marco rossi but i think jack quinn was was better in the second half um they play on different lines at even strength um they do play together on the power play, but on even strength, they play on different lines. And I think that his game was a lot more consistent in the second half. And we really started to see him take over games. Um, you know, the one thing that's worth mentioning with Jack Quinn is that a few years ago, he was playing double A. His first year at triple A was in his OHL draft year, um, which is really remarkable. And he went through uh, a growth spurt that saw him, you know, gain a lot of height over a, a short amount of time. Um, it really affected his skating and he had to put some work in to, to be a better skater at the OHL level. Um, you know, people point to the age factor and him being a late birthday and, you know, uh, being only a few days away from being eligible last year. But I think you need to look at the bigger picture and, and see a player that is just a later developer that took some time to, to physically mature. And now that he has, he's taking over games. And like you said, he's not only one of the best goal scorers in the OHL and, and one of the best goal scorers available for this draft. But the way that he scores is, is translatable to the NHL level. He's not a, just a trigger man. He's not 
one-dimensional in that regard. He's a type of kid that can create his own scoring chances. He's a very elusive player in transition. He's a very intelligent player without the puck. He's good at both ends of the ice. He's really improved his play away from the puck, um, you know, as a defensive player to the point where the Ottawa coaching staff trusts both he and Marco Rossi to be out there together, you know, in the final minute, protecting that lead. Um, and I think it's easy to project him as a really high-end NHL winger. Um, and I think that's why on draft day, you know, we're not going to, to see him last very long. I was speaking to uh, a scout uh, the other day uh, on Twitter. We were DMing each other, and uh, he was saying that he, it wouldn't shock him to see Quinn go ahead of Marco Rossi. Um, now, I know that might surprise some people, but just the improvement that, that Quinn um, made in the, in the second half and the skill set that he brings to the ice. Um, you know, it, it's just as easy to see his skill set translating to the NHL level as it is Marco Rossi's and he's a little bit bigger to boot. So, I mean, as much as we say size doesn't matter as much as it used to, it still does. All right. So that's pretty high praise for Jack Quinn. Another player who's coming out of the O that I'm really high on will stick with the forwards. Is, and then there's a drop off after him. But uh, Cole Perfetti, Saginaw, watched him play and um, he's able to just dominate the play at this level. And there's a lot to like about him. Where do you uh, where do you see him fitting in on draft day? I think he's definitely a, a top 10 selection. I think that people do have concerns about his feet um, and, you know, that lack of, of elite speed, especially as a slightly undersized forward. Um, but I think he just thinks the game at too high of a level to, to be held back. Um, you know, I, I, while he doesn't have elite speed, he is extremely agile. His edge work and, and, and his turns um, are, are fantastic. Um, his ability to maintain possession along the wall and through traffic is extremely high level. I think that he really took a step forward as a, as a facilitator and as a playmaker this year. I think last year I talked about the term trigger man, and I felt like he was more of that last year as a rookie. Um, maybe not always going after his opportunities, allowing the play to come to him a little bit instead of being assertive. I think this year we're really seeing him take the bull by the horns more often and being that top-end offensive talent. Um, his IQ, like I said, is just so high. He, he's such an intelligent player with the puck. You rarely see him turn it over. Um, one of those guys that always makes the right decision and gets himself in, in the opportunity to, to score and use his high-end shot. Um, and... You know, while that lack of speed and that lack of size might scare a few teams, ultimately it, it only takes one inside that top 10 to to believe that he's going to be a high-end point producer at the NHL level. And I think that's what we'll ultimately see. Yeah, I, I, I'm a believer in, in Cole Perfetti. Uh, Jamie Drysdale, he came into the season as the consensus top-ranked defenseman, and we exit the season and he's still the top-ranked defenseman. I think it's important to note that I think that gap has closed a little bit. I think some guys have have moved up and but Drysdale didn't do anything to to move down and what really impressed me about him this season was his way his ability to play his way onto the Team Canada World Junior roster. There was a lot of players at that uh, development exhibition camp that they had playing in uh, playing a U Sports team, some Canadian college team. And 
he was he was the best defenseman in that tournament and he made team canada and started off as the seventh defenseman and played his way on to a relevant role and i mean we talk about players that had poor world juniors like uh like byfield and askarov and we say oh don't worry about it it's just a small sample size of world juniors it doesn't matter if you're draft eligible you struggle but on the flip side if you if you succeed as a draft eligible at the world juniors on a roster like canada um i think it speaks volumes and uh i i'm a real big fan of his game as a lot of people are um what do you like about drysdale well the first three things that you have to mention are his elite feet and the way that he thinks the game um i think he's definitely one of the smarter defenders to come through the ohl in recent years uh, he's another guy that you just rarely see make a mistake with with the puck while his defensive game you know there's still going to be some growth that that needs to occur before he's uh, you know, uh, a top four NHL defender. Uh, I think the way that he thinks the game from an offensive standpoint is already ready. Um, and I think that he also has that elite mobility. Not only is he explosive and, and tri- moving forward, but he's so difficult to get around when he's moving backwards. And his ability to to defend in his own end relies upon his ability to recover dump ins. I mean, it's very hard to pin him down in the defensive end. Um, because of, of how well he exits the zone. Um, you know, he's the type of guy that will he even have to defend extremely well because it's going to be so hard to pin him in his own zone. You know, so he's always on the attack. Um, and I, like you said, the progression that he showed this year w- was great, especially at the World Juniors, where, you know, uh, that tournament, you know, it's not going to really hurt your stock if you perform poorly as a draft eligible player, but it can definitely boost your stock. Like you said, especially when you're playing on a team like Canada, where I would say by the end of the tournament, he was one of Canada's better defenders. I think the improvement that he showed over the course of that tournament was terrific. Um, You know, it's sort of to go back to what you said at at the very start when, when you prompted the question, it's not necessarily about what Drysdale did this year. That's causing the gap to close between him and say Jake Sanderson. It's more so to do with, you know, what Sanderson was able to do in that second half and maybe his frame um, and his defensive skill set being a little bit more projectable with maybe possessing a similar offensive upside, maybe not as high, but you know, a higher defensive upside. So it's just kind of like that toss up and, and it's a personal preference. I think, um, I think that, as we get closer to the draft, I think we're probably going to see them being like a 1A, 1B sort of situation. It wouldn't shock me at all to see Sanderson go ahead of Drysdale and vice versa. Um, that said, I, I think the world uh, of Drysdale, and I think he's still going to be an extremely high selection. I think he's a guy that definitely has, even if Sanderson goes top six, I think we could have Drysdale in that top six as well. Um, I think both of these guys are extremely high-end players. Um I think Drysdale is the type that'll probably need another year in the OHL. And then I think he could probably step right in at the NHL level. I think he just needs to get a little stronger, um, a little more assertive uh, as a defensive player. But because he thinks the game so well, uh, I would be shocked if, if he failed. I think he's about as close as a slam dunk as you can get yeah. as, a, as an NHL defenseman. Um, and yeah, I, uh, he would be the number two OHL player for me behind Quentin Byfield. Um, I would have him ahead of Rossi, uh, ahead of Perfetti, ahead of Quinn. What about in a fantasy draft? I guess it would depend uh, on your league's settings and scorings would, and positional it, requirements. 
Exactly. It would depend on your positional requirements, especially, right? I mean, if if you are a team that is lacking on, on the back end, especially in terms of a point producer, I mean, you might still look at Drysdale, uh, you know, first, simply because those types of players who are a little bit more well-rounded are very hard to come by, especially from a fantasy perspective uh, on the defensive uh, side of things. All right, so there's a number of other players that I, I could talk to you about. Tyson Forrester, Jacob Perot, Tyler Tulio, Evangelista, uh, another foodie. Um, but the, the top five guys that we've covered, I think, are the cream of the crop. Um, we're running a little bit long, so I don't want to talk about all those guys. One that I don't want to pass up, though, is Will Cooley. Um, he's a player that I've seen um, live and on TV a couple of times now. And every time I watch him play, he does one or two things a game that I really, really like either his compete or his physicality or his ability to get on the other team's skin or his ability to produce offense. Um, he's the kind of player that I personally like and gravitate to. Uh, haven't seen enough of him to decide how high in the draft I think he should go or how fantasy relevant I think he is. So purely for my own interest, I would really like to hear what your take is on all of that. I, I like Cooley. Uh, I really do. Um, you know, there's, there are a lot of comparisons that are made naturally to Tom Wilson, um, just because they play a similar sort of style. Ultimately, Cooley isn't getting the same type of hype that Wilson did because he just doesn't skate as well. I mean, that was what made Tom Wilson so special. And and it's what makes him still so special is that for such a big player and for such a physical player, he skates very well. Um, so Cooley is a type of kid that has worked hard on, on improving his skating, but it still has a ways to go. Um, but he's a very high-end goal scorer. I know he only had a, about 20 goals this year, which isn't an extremely high number. Um, but I think that there's a lot more potential for that to increase. Uh, I think he's got a really good release. He's got a really powerful shot. Um, he plays a game with power, like you said. Um, I think the main concern is, like I said, the skating, but also you know, how well does he think the game? Um, and I think that's a bit of a mystery at this point. I mean, sometimes when you look at a player who has a good solid skill set and who should be dominating, but they're not, I think sometimes you need to look at, at the hockey sense from, from an offensive perspective, just those, those scoring instincts, uh, for lack of a, of a better word. Um, cause I think Cooley actually is a pretty decent defensive player. I think he's, he's got his head up when he doesn't have the puck. Um, but you know, he doesn't seem to find his way to the front of the net or, or find his way to, to scoring chances as much as you'd like to see from, from a big kid that's got skill. So it's just a matter of, of how his game develops. I mean, we talked about Seren Noel earlier in the broadcast. Um, and I think that, you know, we'll see Cooley probably drafted in a similar position. I think he'll probably go inside that top 50 um, because teams are projecting him as a top six power forward who can score 25 a year. And I don't think that's that far-fetched. I think that we know that power forwards take a little bit longer to develop because they do often have some skating kinks that need to be worked out. They do have a tough time balancing sort of that physical nature with, you know, producing offense and, and finding the time to, to play physical and to look for those hits, but also, you know, try to cut to the net and find those scoring chances. Um, you know, and maybe becoming a little bit more confident with the puck. So it's going to be interesting to see his game develop over the next few years. But uh, he's somebody that I definitely have 
have a lot of time for. And if I'm taking a chance on, on a kid, um, you know, in the top 60 that I think can be a really good goal scorer that I think maybe is a little bit undervalued, he would definitely be one of the names that I would bring up. All right. So let's get one more draft eligible player in here and I'll let you choose the player. Um, if I'm in a, a fantasy league that tries to mirror the NHL and, and is a very deep league, has a lot of teams, and the, the draft every summer is is pretty much entirely entry draft players and is, say, three or four rounds uh, with about 20 picks per round. Uh, who's a player that's coming from the OHL that should be about a mid-round, like a third or, or later round pick that uh, that you would kind of take a chance with, that you would put on your draft list? The first thing that jumps out at me is Evan Veerling. So he was an extremely high OHL draft pick uh, with Flint. And it just didn't really work out in, in Flint. Uh, they've obviously turned their franchise around, but I think he was a little bit homesick. I don't think the, the situation really fit him. Uh, ended, up, ended up sitting out a little bit of this year. Uh, was traded to Barry. In Barry, honestly, he, he was fantastic. Um, he played with Tyson Forrester, and Forrester is a kid that we're talking about as a potential late first round pick. And a lot of the times that I saw Barry late in the year, he was the one driving the play, not Forrester. Um, he's, he's a big center. I mean, not huge. We're not talking about Quinton Byfield, but we're talking about a kid that probably, you know, finishes his growth spurt at about six to 200, um, you know, plays with some power plays through the middle of the ice, um, you know, has a good shot, but is also, uh, you know, a good playmaker has some puck skill, you know, projects as a, as an all around center with size. And right now we're talking about him in that sort of third round range, but it wouldn't shock me at all if somebody stepped up and took him a little bit earlier with the way that he finished the year, obviously um, you know, the way that he interviews, it's going to be different. It's not the draft combine. It's just going to be those one and one-on-one interviews that he has via Skype or zoom or whatever your favorite platform is or whatever NHL scouting staff's favorite platform is. I'm sure he's going to have to answer some questions about, you know, what happened in Flint and they're, you know, they're probably going to grill him about some of those character. I'm not going to use the word concerns because he, we have to remember that he's a kid. Um, but it's definitely something that they're going to bring up. But if a team is confident that, you know, he's got the right mindset and that what we saw in the later half of the year with Barry is the real Veerling, uh, this is a kid that has the talent to be one of the better kids in this Ontario age group. He, he was through minor hockey. And I think in the second half, you know, I think we have to put him on the same level as guys like Forrester and Jacob Perot and and the coolies and the foodies. And these are guys that we're talking about as, as players in the top 45, yet you're going to be able to probably find Veerling in the, that third round in a fantasy draft because the whole Flint fiasco in the first half of the year. Um, so he's definitely the, the first one that sort of jumps off the page at me. Interesting. Evan Veerling, V I E R L I N G for those of you at home who've never heard of him before and want to want to check him out. Uh, so that's a good one. A uh, couple players re-entering the draft that have been passed over before that may or may not get picked. Uh, the first one, Nico Dawes. I think he's a slam dunk to be drafted this year. Um, we all know him from his exploits with Team Canada, where he made the team, um, dropped the ball a little bit, and, and lost the job. But uh, he had just a phenomenal season throughout and uh, really earned the spot on Team Canada. was unfortunate that he couldn't hold on to the, to the reins at that level. Uh, but he's a player that you see certainly getting drafted kind of mid-round. 
I would say higher than that. I think that, higher, right? uh, yeah, I would, I would be shocked if he's not the first North American goalie taken and whether that's, you know, 40th or whether that's 60th, uh, you know, I think he's a, he's a second round pick. Um, especially with, I don't see it being a very strong goaltending class. So I think, you know, once Ascara's off the board, um, teams are going to really start to look at, okay, like how many of these goalies are we actually projecting as guys that could be NHL starters? And I think the list is pretty small. I think you've got Dawes on that list. I think you probably have Drew Comesso, the starter for the national development team program. I think you probably have a few European guys. Um, yeah, well, he's he's a re-entry himself, right? Um, yeah. But it's not a long list this year. No. Nope. Uh, so I think you're going to see teams jump at the chance to, to draft the goalies that they really believe in, especially if their system is, is a little bit weaker at the position right now. Um, and like you said, Dawes had a great year. Um, he lost all that weight on the keto diet, and it made all the difference in his game. Um, and he was phenomenal for Guelph and he's a big kid and, you know, he's, I wouldn't say he's got elite agility in the net. He's not an elite mover, but he, he's pretty athletic, uh, reads and reacts to the play quite well and, um, definitely has the potential to, to be an NHL goaltender. And, uh, I, I definitely think that we're going to see him off the board pretty early. Right on, uh, a player who I don't anticipate to get picked, but, uh, really curious about this player, uh, Tag Bertuzzi. Um, like Veerling, he was a, a high draft pick in his draft year um, and has really just kind of struggled to find his his position in the OHL. Um, son of Todd Bertuzzi playing uh, on his second team now in the OHL with, with Hamilton. Do you think there's any possibility that he gets selected? And uh, what do you think his long-term upside is? And if if he's not going to get picked and his long-term upside is not great, what, what's holding him back? I think there's a chance that he gets selected this year. I think he uh, he took some nice steps forward with Hamilton. Last year wasn't the best year with Guelph. And then after getting moved to Hamilton, he got injured for the rest of the year. So the rest of his year in his draft year was a write-off. Um, this year he bounced back pretty strong on a, on a Hamilton team that really was mostly a one-line team this year. Um, you know, I think he shows that he does have potential as an NHL player, more than just the bloodlines would suggest. I think that uh, his shot and his ability to handle the puck is is still developing. Um, I think there's still room for him to develop as a skater as well. But I think he works the wall really well. Um, I think there there are times there are, there are shifts where he's completely inseparable from the puck because of his size and his skill. Um, it's just a matter of being a little bit more consistent um, and finding the confidence in his offensive abilities. And I think that next year with Hamilton improving a little bit, um, I think we'll start to see him inch closer or if not past that point per game mark. So if he doesn't get drafted this year, uh, I think eventually down the line, we're going to see him, you know, either be drafted in his second year or sign an NHL deal because I I think there is an NHL player in there. Um, I I really do. I think that we have to think of the fact that this is really only his second year in the OHL, if we discount last year's injury ridden year. Um, and he was able to stay healthy this year, which, which is a big plus. And next year he'll, he'll be able to focus on other things. And um, 
I think there's definitely the the potential for him to be, uh, I don't know about a, a top six player, but uh, I think definitely a, a bottom six NHL player. My concern with from seeing him in the games I've watched him play has been his uh, compete level or lack thereof um, and consistency. There's been uh, whole games where I've really focused on him and, and watched him and he does a lot of coasting and um, didn't look that competitive. Um, is that just, you know, I caught him on some bad days or is that one of the marks against him? No, 100%. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, and especially when you've got a big kid who can play physical and can completely dominate shifts, you know, the fact that you're not seeing that consistently, it, it's frustrating, right? Um, and, you know, will the light bulb go on? Will it not? I, I don't know. I think we saw a step forward in his consistency this year. I think especially in the second half of the year with Hamilton um, as he became a little bit more comfortable. So it's just moving forward. It's being able to use his size more efficiently to play the middle um, and being that sort of net front front presence. I think you sort of hit the nail on the head in saying that he sometimes coasts in the offensive zone. He kind of like hangs out around the dot looking for a pass. Is not always engaged in, in recovering dump-ins when he should be because of his size. Um so just rounding out his game in that regard, I think is super important. Um, but I think he's shown enough maybe this year to, to sort of tease people into, into a draft selection. Interesting. Well, he certainly got the, uh, the lineage there in order to, to do that. Um, and, you know, second overall pick in his OHL draft um, just hasn't really, hasn't really had a, a strong OHL career, but missed almost an entire season to your point. So we'll, we'll see how he, how he does. Um, Brock, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Um, this has been a lot of really, really great information. And aside from your own blog is, and um, contributing to Keens, is there anywhere else I'm missing that you want to promote or anything that's coming up that you've got going on? No, man, I think uh, I think you hit it. Uh, just uh, my work at McKean's and my work on my own website, that OHL Prospects. And you can follow me on Twitter, uh, at Brock Otten. Um, in terms of stuff coming up, uh, I haven't re- yet decided when I'm going to release my my final top 50 for, for the OHL that I always release. I think it's going to depend on what happens with, with the draft. I think I'm still leaning towards releasing it in May like I normally do. Um, so you can look out for that. Also, the the final media list, which I'm still going to do, which obviously you contribute to a, as well. Um, so I'm still going to move forward with that. So people can look forward to that as well as as required draft reading as we move forward. Right on. Might not be any hockey happening, but we're still uh, finding a way to put out some some content that is hopefully worth listening to and worth reading. So thanks for your time, Brock. And uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode. My pleasure. Take care.